What's going on, Wellness Gang? Welcome back to Embodied Wellness Radio, a podcast framed around making women healthy again. My name is Denon Maximchuk. And I'm Sarah Collins. And today we are going to be interviewing Ashley Van Houten. Now, Ashley is a health coach, a speaker, a podcast host, and an author of one of the only nose-to-tail organ meat-centric cookbooks in existence called It Takes Guts. Her new book is called Carnivore-ish, which I've got right here in front of me. And I actually tried one of the recipes just a couple days back, and I loved it. A little bit of liver, a little, little bit of beef. It was delicious, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So Ashley is the host of the Muscle Maven Radio podcast, downloaded more than 1.5 million times, not a big deal, where she interviews some of the leading minds in exercise nutrition methodology and overall wellness. Ashley is also a consultant in the fitness industry, helping others build their brand and communicate their messages to the world. She's developed a range of coaching programs and workshops aimed at improving physical strength, overall wellness, and a deeper understanding of our bodies through optimal health, including muscle science for women and the jacked back pull-up program. Feel free to connect with Ashley on Instagram at The Muscle Maven or her website, AshleyVanHouten.com. And if you want a quick link to any of the topics that we speak about in today's show, visit EmbodiedWellnessCo.com slash blog slash Muscle Maven, and I'll link to all of her social medias and any of the topics that we will be diving into. But before we get into all that stuff, first of all, welcome to the podcast. And I would love for you to give the people a little bit of a breakdown of where, how you've got to this point where you are posting on Instagram about eating tongue tacos because you live what seems to be a crazy life to so many people. The infamous organ queen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. You've got a great podcast voice, by the way. You've got a great radio voice. It's very good. Um, and I appreciate that intro because now I don't have to say anything because everybody knows where to find me. It's fantastic. Um, well, I guess, I mean, I could start. I, I'm trying to think of how I can do this without it taking up the entire podcast. No, time, go ahead. We, we got time. I'll try to elevator pitch it, how I got to be the person posting about tongue tacos and liver and stuff on the internet. Um, Basically for the last 10 years or so, I've been in the sort of fitness, nutrition, wellness space as a journalist writing for a number of publications, as a podcast host, I have hosted and co-hosted and assisted um, in the development of a number of um, health and wellness and fitness podcasts, including my own now. Um, And as I have sort of evolved in my career, it's it's really been kind of a personal learning experience about how to maximize and optimize and enjoy the journey of my own health and fitness kind of experience. Um, and, you know, my background nutritionally is really like a sort of ancestral primal paleo kind of approach, which is just to say real food, whole food, all of that stuff. And as I started to care more about nutrition, because, you know, when people get out of their early twenties and like, nutrition starts to really, really matter. <laughs> yep. um, you know, and I started eating like healthier and figuring out what works for me and all of those things. And the next sort of step of that evolution was how can I be the most sort of ethical, responsible, um, thoughtful omnivore uh, that I can be. And naturally to me, as someone who eats a very animal protein uh, focused diet, that was looking at how I could um, you know, just, just make the best choices possible with my meat eating. And to that end, eating the whole animal nose to tail, um, is just a common sense sort of approach. And so I started looking into organ meats and understanding the nutrient density of them and just how good they are for you and all of those things. And so I started experimenting a little bit. Um, and of course I'm posting it on social media because that's what you do. 
And I, you know, just had a lot of interest from people, people who were super grossed out and weirded out. And they're like, who are you and what are you doing? But also a lot of people who were like, well, this is interesting. Like, why are you, why are you eating that? What, how do you do it? Is it good? Is it, okay? you know, all these questions. And so I'm thinking there is actually a community. There's a niche here to teach this to people who um, care about, they care about sort of the food industry. They care about the environment. They care about sustainability. They care about their health, um, foodie people, you know? Um, and I was really interested to realize that even within the nutrition industry and even in like the paleo carnivore world, eating organs is still like very, um, I don't even want to say taboo, but it's not mainstream and not something that a lot of people are comfortable with or, or know much about. Um, so I thought that there was really a opportunity for me to explore this myself and teach what I'm learning to other people. Um, and hopefully kind of broaden people's horizons and, and get people a little willing to try things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise and benefit, um, you know, get healthier as a result. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And organ meats are one of the most nutrient-dense foods on the entire planet. And yesterday on my stories, I posted a video of me cutting up a small piece of liver and taking it. And I, I swear it was my most engaged story I've done. Everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? My clients were like, okay, I need a little bit of backstory to this. I had people sending me puke emojis. And it really is mm -hmm. crazy because we were just talking about this before the show, how it's not weird to most of us. There might be some vegans listening to this, but it's not weird for most of us to sit down and eat a piece of meat that's mm -hmm. on a bone. But it's so weird. As soon as you tell someone like, oh, I'm having liver, they're like, what? Why would you mm -hmm. do that to yourself? I'll tell you what's so, not weird is when you feel great. What's not yeah, weird I is mean, when you have energy, you boost your fertility, you're full of nutrients, you are thriving. What's weird is when people are so deficient and feeling unwell and unwilling to try new things to get them to a place of better health. And I would consider myself a relatively healthy person. You know, I eat pretty well. I try my best and I can still feel better. I can still do things that make me feel better. And so our podcast mm -hmm. is framed around making everyone healthy, but specifically women, which is a large part of our practice. So can you explain what nose to tail eating really is and how, why that's so important, especially for women in our modern age? Yeah, I love that. Um, and I think just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying about people thinking it's, it's so crazy to eat liver. I think, I think it's really more of like a cultural thing. Um, because, you know, in the process of writing this book, of course, I had tons of feedback from people who are like, I eat all of this stuff all the time. This isn't, this isn't odd to me. And it was basically every culture except sort of North American sort of mainstream standard American diet culture. So throughout history, throughout every culture, every cuisine, since human beings have eaten food, have existed and been eating food, they have eaten nose to tail, they have eaten the entire animal. It's really only in our very more modern, hyper-processed culture that it's, we have the, I'm using air quotes here, the privilege of picking and choosing like these choice cuts off the animal that really aren't the choice cuts at all. They're just the sort of most bland tasting, um, oftentimes like the muscle meat. Um, so yeah, I just kind of want to preface it because I think a lot of people will listen and be hearing this and be like, I've always eaten this way. My grandmother taught me how to eat this yep. way. This is normal. <laughs> I know that this is healthy. And that's, that's true. It's, we're in a very weird place in history food wise. I think all of us can agree. Um, 
but I do think it's, it's really extra important for like you guys to be having this conversation on your podcast and to, for me to write this book that is for everyone, but it's a woman writing it. And I do speak to women because we unfortunately are the recipients of the vast majority of messaging around eating plant-based, eating light, eating diet food, eating reduced fat. Um, and we are also, generally speaking, the consumers of diet foods, diet plans. Um, we're, the, we're the ones uh, going out and buying food for the families. Like stereotypically, generally, women are doing most of that consuming. And so we're the ones who are being told, don't eat meat, don't eat animal products. It's unhealthy. And that is vastly to our detriment. Um, and, you know, I could go on and on about this, but in my health coaching practice, in my experience, it is so often women struggling with um, hormonal issues, energy issues, digestion issues, um, blood sugar issues, all of these things. And when time and time again, when I see what they're eating, it is very low fat, very low protein, very raw this kind of like carb <laughs> roller coaster. Yeah. Um, and they're just, they're not nourishing themselves. And we have been taught like an entire generation of women, generations of women have been taught to eat as little as possible. And so it's very, very hard. And I have this frustration all the time with my clients. It's really hard for women to, to understand, to like click with the idea that they can eat more and like either lose body fat or if that's what they're trying to do or, you know, improve their body composition or improve their health because it's so ingrained that you have to eat less, less, less all the time. Um, and so it's really, it's frustrating and it's unfortunate, but there's a ton of physiological reasons, of course, too, why women should be eating. If you can animal protein, nutrient dense animal protein, because we have, um, higher like iron requirements, right? We've got a monthly cycle where we're losing iron. Um, we're, vastly deficient. A lot of us in things like magnesium, um, again, protein, all these essential amino acids that we need and animal protein has very, is a very bioavailable nutrient dense source of all of these things, micronutrients, amino acids, and further organ meats are an even more nutrient dense, uh, source. So if you are even trying to eat maybe less animal protein, which if that's a goal of yours, that's fine. Basically saying that, you know, a little bit goes a long way with organ meats. You can have a couple ounces um, of liver every few weeks and you're going to reap like significant noticeable benefits. Um, and just to finish this, cause I, again, I could talk forever. Um, but to cap this off about why like women specifically are being like targeted, you know, I had a baby eight months ago and when I was pregnant, um, and I can talk about that if you want to, but I was eating the same way. I always eat meat, nutrient dense stuff, liver, all the stuff. And for my own research, I was like following these like pregnancy blogs and apps and stuff like that. And it was enraging the information that they were giving out about um, what to eat. Like there were articles about like how to get your protein in while pregnant. And I, I screenshotted one because I, I couldn't believe it. This was not a vegan website. This was not a plant-based website. It was just a regular pregnancy health website that listed a dozen foods to get your optimal protein. And it was like chickpeas and peanut butter and tofu. Oh. They did not mention, they did not mention one animal source. That to me is egregious. Like if you want to include animal or plant-based sources for people who are plant-based, fine. But to not even mention, like I did some post on social media where it's like, you know, talking about 
sources of protein and not including animal products is like telling somebody to like get from one end of the country to the other and giving them a bicycle and not telling them that planes (laughs) exist. Like it's ridiculous. It's just, it was so upsetting. So Anyway, I could go on, but um, those are a couple of reasons why I think it's important that you guys are having this kind of conversation um, for women to hear. I unfortunately was vegan for about five years, and I can tell you firsthand that is the worst and the unhealthiest I've ever felt, been, and looked. I saw recently a photo of myself back then, and I was like, my jaw was my jaw was dropped, friends. Like my arm mm. was probably the size that. I don't know, maybe my wrist is right now at the top of my arm. My face looked emaciated. Not to say that's the case for everyone. I will also preface that back then I didn't know as much about nutrition as I did now. I can recall having like a raw kale salad for lunch and a smoothie for dinner. So yes, there is ways I could have been healthier individually. But once I added back in animal protein, my health improved so, so much. And when we're specifically talking about females and as Ashley mentioned about losing iron in our cycles, Low iron or low ferritin, and I've talked about this on my social media, doesn't necessarily mean that your body is deficient in iron. It means you're not able to get the iron from your tissues into the blood a lot of the time. So we have an iron recycling system, which takes the iron out of our tissues into our blood, and it helps us to have energy and to have this vitality and is really important for females. Two nutrients that are so essential in that are copper and vitamin A, and the only substantial amount of vitamin A you can get in your diet and people will say bell peppers y'all bell peppers are not not it not it how many bell peppers do you want to eat if (laughs) If you want to eat 16 bell peppers go for it is liver right or organ meats so it's really really important to understand our nutrition needs and I always say to females in our practice is like how do you feel right now based off of all of the knowledge that you've believed to be true and all of the things that you've tried Do you feel your best? And most of the time the answer is no, which is why they're reaching out to us. Okay, so are you open to the fact that some of the stuff you you are holding on to as truth might not actually be true and that you might actually need to try something different in order to feel better because right now you're not feeling great? If the answer is yes, okay, then we open up the discussion because I'm not here to tell anyone who thinks what they have going on is perfect, do this, don't do that. But people are not feeling great, right? Most women are feeling shitty. They have poor digestion, their hormones are off, they have low energy all the time, sex drive is non-existent, and so something needs to change. And I believe a big part of that is all of the information we're fed, people trying to eat as little as possible, over-exercising, which we're not even gonna touch on, really not getting any nutrition, or they're like, get your micros in with this big-ass salad, but their digestive system is so crappy, they can't even digest the salad, and so they're not getting the nutrients. And women are sicker than ever straight up there's health this wellness that but we as females are not getting any healthier for the large part i think it is starting to trend in a better direction but the large population of females don't feel great and so we need to make a change we need to change the message that's given what females eat what we believe to be true understanding how to nourish our bodies and what that even means you know that word that's always thrown around on social media just be nourishing your body and it's like you can't really say that because when somebody hears nourishment what they their interpretation of that is, is probably not actually what their body needs. And so really this push for an animal-based diet and getting in lots of nutrients and understanding that if you eat a steak, you're not going to get massive biceps the size of Denon's, that this really is for our internal health as a female. And it's so important to have these nutrient-rich sources of meat and protein for our overall health. And it's 
really quite sad. It's really unfortunate when I read females food logs and they're eating next to nothing and feeling crappy. And it's just this, this belief system that's got to go. Yeah. I mean, I think it also is, uh, something we need to work on as a part of overarching fitness culture that we really, really only talk about women's wellness and nutrition with respect to what we look like. And I mean, this could again, go in a whole different direction. Um, but I think that there's nothing wrong with people wanting to look good and there's nothing wrong with people even wanting to lose weight. Um, we do have like an obesity epidemic. There are a lot of people that I think would benefit from, from, you know, losing body fat and feeling better and, and functioning better. But we, our, the women's conversations around what we eat is so linked to being smaller all the time that we, it's like, we have completely foregone any consideration about our actual health and well-being. And I think a really telling example of that is going back to the pregnancy thing. Again, I was listening to a podcast with some uh, nutritionists and they were talking about eating and pregnancy. And one of the questions was from a vegan saying like, how do I get, you know, the optimal nutrition during pregnancy? And these vegan promoting plant-based promoting nutritionists said in the podcast, if you can eat animal sources while you're pregnant, you really should, because it's really, really beneficial for the, you're growing a, a human from scratch. And it's really, really going to help you get this actual bioavailable nutrition and these vital nutrients you need to keep yourself healthy while you are growing a human. And what I took from that was it's important to grow this person, but like you generally, you can just kind of limp along like yeah. in poor health the rest of the time. It doesn't really matter. Like if you want to eat vegan and kind of feel like shit all the time, go for it. But when it matters, when you're creating somebody else, like go eat the animal protein because it actually is really beneficial. Like it was just like, it, if, if it's healthy for a, a developing human, it's healthy for you too. Like it just, it seems so out of whack to me. So again, I think we have a hard time connecting the fact that like nutrition should first and foremost be to help your body function and make you feel good. And as a side effect, 99.9% .9 of the time, that's going to make you look better too. There's nothing wrong with that being a priority, but when it's the only priority, it's a problem. I think there's a high degree of selective hearing in that community or dare I say mm -hmm. cult. Um, but in that community, a lot of times they are being pushed a certain agenda that is, is there's a ton of money behind it. I mean, if you, if you do look at the, the powers that be currently in the world and where their money currently lies, I mean, you see Bill Gates buying up hundreds of millions of acres of land to take it to likely just make, you know, fake meat burgers and all of these things. There's a lot of government money and there's just a lot of money in general um, being put into um, maybe falsified research, uh, cherry picked research for, you know, movies or false documentaries such as, you know, what the health and things like that. There was even a situation where we were reading in uh, one of Dr. Greger's books that were, was in a holistic nutrition course that Sarah was taking. And in this book, uh, he ref made a reference to something and we were both like, that's a very odd thing to state. I, how, how could you get to that? Sarah goes oh, to the, yeah. Sarah goes to the back of the book, takes a look at the reference and the reference is from a conversation with somebody. That's not a scientific reference. So there's a lot of, and that's Dr. Gregor. And I got Mind a lot you, of beef with this guy. It was conversation <laughs> with the authors. 
are references a conversation we had. And I just decided to say this as a fact. And I referenced myself in the back and there's no study. And I was actually very outraged at this whole program. I wrote a very, about to lose very it. strong worded email <laughs> on the fact that you're doing a holistic nutrition certification and every book that we were, we had to read all of our requirements were all plant-based. And I sent an email like, what about current research? What about animal-based protein? What about the fact that if you only teach one school of thought, you've negated, you're teaching people how to be nutritionist and you haven't even shown any side of the benefit of animal-based meat. Y'all... I was outraged. <laughs> if I knew that you could just quote yourself as research <laughs> We'd in be like courses and curriculum, like that would make my job so much easier. I I mean, I've been really missing out this whole time. Right? That's, exactly. That's wild. That is wild. Yeah. So getting back to the topic of nourishment, let's talk a little bit more specifically about organ meat. So on episode 30, we were talking with an expert on uh, mitochondria. And we were in that podcast referenced many different things that are going to help the overall function of your mitochondria, which is really the basis of, of all of your health. Um, and one of the many things in that was obviously a high nutrient diet full of micronutrients. Now speaking, obviously we've mentioned so many times that liver and, and many other organ meats, um, are very dense. What are your specific favorites? And let's kind of go through like each one and what the benefits are. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as the mitochondrial health thing too, I think it's like really about, it's like, we're trying to just avoid chronic inflammation, right. Which is something that we get from just garbage food, but also our lifestyle. And I just, every time you ask a question, I think about all these different like rabbit holes we could go down in terms of like <laughs> just lifestyle behavior, lifestyle behaviors, right. Like, and I know you guys see this with, with your women clients that it's like they're eating maybe even some of them are eating perfectly, but they're like, but I sleep five hours a day and I do like 14 CrossFit workouts a week. And I, I'm you know, whatever. like just, yeah, like crazy, crazy stress. So it's like no amount of, I mean, maybe liver would help because it's so nutrient dense, but like no diet is going to dig you ass. out of that hole. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway. Um, okay. So organ meats. All right. Everyone knows about liver because that's the one that people see folks eating it raw on the internet and it gets a lot of attention and it's very flashy and whatever. And there's a reason for it. Liver is the, like the queen, I'll say queen because it's a podcast for women, queen <laughs> of organs. It's the best one just because again, it is the most nutrient dense, like ounce for ounce. So if we're talking about all of the things that we're looking for, the like B vitamins, vitamin A, selenium, phosphorus, magnesium, like copper, zinc, everything you can imagine that is good for your body, that helps your body function. Liver has like the most of it. Um, and, you know, people will talk about liver toxicity or like vitamin A toxicity from eating too much liver. Um, and there are smarter people who I will actually um, reference some of these smarter people, but like Dr. Lily Nichols is a good example. She wrote a really good article about organ meats. Um, and I can send you her information if you want to put it in the show notes or whatever, but Please, yeah. she talks about this because people, and people ask me this too. And they were like, Oh, you're still eating liver when you're pregnant. Like, aren't you worried about vitamin A toxicity? And I'm like, how much liver do you think I'm eating? Like, I know, <laughs> you know, I wrote a book about it, but you have to eat so much, um, liver anecdotally. I've only heard of one person ever that had 
uh, I guess, borderline problematically high levels of vitamin A. Um, and even then they had no symptoms. They just did blood work taken and they were like, whoa, your vitamin A is high. And that person had eaten like multiple ounces of beef liver every day for like six months straight. Like who's doing that? Come on. I'm not doing that. Like <laughs> eat a couple doing ounce- it, nobody's doing it. Exactly. Like eat a couple ounces once a month, maybe, and you're going to be doing fantastic. Right. Um, but anyway, so I think liver is great. Another thing that, that folks may not think about, um, because we tend to look at this stuff. So black and white, it's like, okay, if I'm not eating raw calf's liver, what's even the point? Like everybody slow down. You don't have to eat it raw. It doesn't have to be beef liver. Um, I recommend people start with chicken liver or duck liver, um, because smaller animals, their organs tend to be milder tasting. So a chicken liver is going to be probably easier for you to experiment with than like a bison liver, for example. It's going to taste a lot stronger and a lot gamier, um, and it's still very nutrient dense. Like maybe beef has a little bit more than chicken. Um, maybe you want to make sure that you're getting really high quality chicken livers, like whatever you're comfortable with. But at the end of the day, a chicken liver is very nutrient dense. Don't worry about it. Like we we try to, I don't know. It's like we can't be perfect. It's like what's the point? There is a point. You don't have to be perfect. Just try and make make good choices whenever you can, right? Um, so that's what I would say about liver. Um, I am a really, really big fan of heart, and I recommend that to everybody. And I actually recommend it probably over liver for people who are just experimenting with organ meats for the first time, because heart is a much less challenging flavor. Um, it's a, it's a muscle meat. So just like steak or, you know, the kinds of beefy texture that we're already familiar with. Some people have a texture issue when it comes to organ meats, heart has like a regular texture that you would be familiar with. And it may be stronger tasting than like your average steak, but it still has that kind of steaky beefy flavor. Um, it's very, very versatile because it's essentially just like a hunk of muscle meat. So you can, if you're getting a a beef liver or a lamb or sorry, heart or a lamb heart or any kind of big animal heart. Um, you're just kind of prepping it, sort of cutting away the extra bits. I talk about how to prep everything in my, um, book and you can cut it up and put it on a barbecue. You can stuff it and roast it in your oven. You can stir fry it. You can slice it up thin and and pan fry it and put it in a sandwich. If you want, there's so many things you can do with heart. And it is again, very high in all of these, um, micronutrients, vitamins, and minerals. It's really, um, high, especially heart in CoQ10, which is this fantastic antioxidant. Um, that's really, really beneficial. So, heart, definitely go for heart, easy, delicious, very good. Um, and then we were talking offline. I'm a really big fan of tongue, um, because it is the most delicious it's nutrient dense. It's great. It's higher in fat. So it's a nice fatty meat. If you're into that, if you're eating carnivore, or very, you know, animal, uh, based and you want to get lots of protein and fat, it's a good option but mostly it just tastes good. You know, you can slow cook it and it pulls apart like, like pulled pork or beef brisket. And it's just delicious. Anybody who's had a tongue taco knows, um, <laughs> I tell know, people, you know. if you know, you know, and I tell people like, I'm not, I'm not telling you to do this, but if you were the type of person who would cook a meal and not tell your guests what they're eating until afterwards, I would say that tongue is the one organ meat that people would be like, Oh my my God, this is delicious. What is it? You're like, Oh, it's a tongue. And then they can freak out afterwards. Like it's, (laughs) it's that good. It doesn't taste, it doesn't taste strong or scary at all. It's fantastic. So anyway, I could keep going, but those are kind of like the the top three that come to my mind. 
All right. So going back to the vitamin A toxicity, I was having a conversation about eating beef liver at my last family dinner. I know. Very exciting. My grandma, my avó, she's Portuguese and she's an OG in like every way you could imagine. And we were talking about it and she's like, I don't get it. She's like, I just get the liver fried up. She's like, I actually had some last night. You just fried in the pan, add some onions, Vaughn marinates it. She always talks in third person, love her. And she just eats it. And my dad was like, Ugh eating liver and he grew up in in uh, Montreal he's like eating liver he's like I would never eat liver that's what filters all the toxins it's full of toxins so what do you have to say for people and I'm gonna send this to my dad too what do you have to say for people who have the toxin argument about liver it's a very good question it's one I get a lot um first of all Portuguese food is so delicious I had a Portuguese boyfriend for a while I lived in Bermuda there's a lot of Portuguese people there and I ate a lot of Portuguese food and it's so good. So yeah, your grandma, I'm sure made some delicious foods. Um, okay. Liver is a filter, uh, organ similar to the kidneys. Um, they filter toxins, they don't store it. So it, the liver is where, you know, everything kind of goes through and the, the toxins come through and are filtered and then excreted out. So excreted in the ways that things are excreted, um, including, you know, sweat and urine and all of those things. So, um, if you are, you know, sourcing healthy, fresh animals, um, it's just, it's just kind of a misconception. It's basically just a lack of knowledge that, you know, toxins are going to be stored in any, um, organ in your body, they're filtered out. Um, and if you actually are concerned with, um, toxin levels where they are stored is actually in body fat. Um, and that goes for human beings as well as animals. So if you are very worried about toxins or you're worried about like the origin of the animals, if you don't, if you're not super pumped about like the quality of the meat that you're, that you're able to source, you want to go for leaner cuts. Um, that's going to help kind of reduce the toxin load, but yeah, I mean, they just, it's just kind of like a misconception that a liver is just sort of like this holding place for toxins. Cause it, it's actually a fantastic magic organ that helps get rid of the toxins in the body. So going back to the idea of sourcing, and I want to ask a question on sourcing because the butcher shop by our house has frozen beef liver, no problem. Super simple to find usually. What about stuff like tongue and brain that you wouldn't necessarily just see at a butcher shop? How do you source that? And we're really lucky because we, we do get a lot of our meat also um, brought in from a local farm uh, called mm. P&H Ranch. Um, so literally when I, when I told him that you were coming on, he's like, oh yeah, we'll bring a bunch of stuff down for you. So cool. any of our clients, they can reach out to P&H Ranch. Um, and when you're doing your meat orders from this guy, because it's a it's an ethical, completely grass uh, fed, grass finished. It's amazing quality stuff. Um, so our clients, they can all get it here. But for example, if you are in... Um, I don't know, middle of the States and listening to this, where would you source that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so basically what you said, if you can make friends with some local, like direct to consumer farms, a lot of places that that exists now, and especially with like online shipping and, you know, the way social media is, you can like, chances are, especially if you're in the States, cause there are actually a couple great companies, um, that ship nationwide, um, really, really high quality, well-sourced um, meat and organ meats, like a couple that come to mind. I don't have any affiliations with these, but again, if you're in the States, it's like um, US wellness meats is a great one, force of nature. Um, there's all kinds of, and you can just kind of Google it and figure it out. But um, so there's online, and I think there are online companies in Canada that do it. Just, it may be more sort of local. You just kind of have to do your own personal research. Um, but if you have a farmer's market uh, nearby, go to the farmer's market, 
go find some farmers, make friends, ask them questions. If you have a butcher shop, go talk to those folks, be friendly, ask them questions. I mean, chances are they will either know how to get it for you. They'll be able to get it for you themselves. Um, they love to talk to you about it. That's been my experience. Um, and a lot of these places can bring stuff in if you ask for it. It's just people aren't asking for it. Um, so you may have to do a little bit more work to source some of this stuff, but it's worth it. You know, like it's, it's worth it for the experience and for what you're going to learn and for the health benefits that you're going to get. Um, another option you can do is if you have any local sort of like ethnic markets, like if there's Middle Eastern, African, Asian markets in your um, community or in your neighborhood. Again, these are all cultures that eat no to tail that make use of the whole animal all the time. Um, when I was sourcing ingredients for my book, I was going to all of these things, everything I've mentioned, I was making use of. And yeah, some of the butcher shops were like, oh, here's the crazy lady coming back, asking for like a bag of calf's blood and stuff. Like, you know, it got weird a couple times. Um, but a lot of these balls, markets- Just a bag of bull balls. <laughs> there you go, there you go. But, but like a lot of the times too, like there, there are, there's more organ meats like- readily available than people think. It's just, we trained our eyes to like, look right over it. Like if you go to a conventional grocery store and whether you're comfortable eating the meat from there or not is another question, but you go to a conventional grocery store, you can probably find chicken hearts, chicken liver, um, gizzards. You might be able to find beef bones. You might be able to find, um, you know, I don't know, maybe even beef liver. Like these things are actually more widely available than we think. We just aren't used to looking for them. Um, so yeah, I mean, some things are always going to be harder to find. Like again, maybe maybe balls, maybe testicles are a little <laughs> bit harder. Maybe brain is a little bit harder, but like the big ones, like liver, heart, um, even tongue, things like that. Like with a little bit of, of like local searching, you should be able to find them. So the next question that comes up for most people, and, and first of all, actually, let me loop back real quick. Take the effort for your health, people. Honestly, I know it might be easier to, and we'll get into this next topic, take a supplement, for example, but take the effort to go out and do it. All it takes is a phone call to your butcher. You don't even have to go to the place half the time. Just phone them and be like, do you guys have hearts? Can you get it in? When can I come pick it up? That's going to take five minutes max. It's not even that big of a deal, right? So if you can make the effort to go in and do it, especially if you feel like shit, you know, you do need mm -hmm. to go past what you're feeling right now and do something different than what you would have before. So make the effort to go and do it. But then that does raise the question. So I got an advertisement for you know, X, Y, and Z supplements, a client might say. So what if I just take this desiccated liver, this desiccated heart, or these blend of many of these things? Mm -hmm. I am very, I come from the supplement industry originally. I'm pretty well read on most supplements, but this one's kind of a new one to me is all of these uh, desiccated or, or dried and dehydrated uh, organ meat supplements. <laughs> what is the efficacy of these supplements as compared to a whole food? Because we had somebody ask us in our client group chat the other day, and I said, look, I'm, I don't know. I'm not a well-read person on this topic, but I would always personally choose the real thing over the, the dehydrated source. But I figured you would know a little bit about this stuff. And if there's a, a buy-in guide, if you were to buy these supplements, how would you go about it? Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, you know, I'm somebody who tries a lot of like supplements and new things because I get sent a lot of stuff and I, I am kind of, I don't want to use the term biohacker cause I'm really not, but I do like to experiment with things. And I'm one of those people, obviously based on the, the topic of my book, like I'll try anything a couple times, <laughs> you know, like what the hell. Um, but I generally am pretty skeptical about supplements and very much echo what you say that like, 
no supplement is going to fix lifestyle issues. These should all be sort of like tweaks. Like if you're doing everything perfectly and you take some nootropic and it helps you a little bit, great. But like if your sleep and stress and food and exercise and all that is out of whack, like this pill isn't going to do anything for you. Um, I do think that the, the organ meat supplement world when done well is something a little bit different because it is essentially still like a freeze dried whole food. Um, again, if you're, if you're using a good company and there are quite a few of them out there right now, it's literally freeze dried, desiccated organs. So not bad. Um, however, like you said, it's still not going to be as good as like the fresh thing. And you're still not getting like probably in the amounts, um, as, as you know, good a dose, like it's kind of similar to for any plant-based people. If you're thinking about like greens powder or something, right? Like it's probably better to eat like the fresh fruits and vegetables that you like that, you know, you tolerate and digest and all of those things. You're going to get the fiber and it's like fresh and whatever. It's kind of the same thing. That's um, what I mean, but, right? Because it's like, how can you even create a measurable amount? Cause like, I know if I have four ounces of whatever it might be, let's say heart, I know I'm, I can measure exactly the nutrients I would be getting out of that. However, yeah. with the supplements, a very condensed version, and I would argue less bioavailable to the body, given the fact that we're not breaking it down with our enzymes, the same as we normally would be with an actual, um, meat itself. Yeah. To me, it just common sense would think that this isn't as good of a choice. And and then again, I've also, Absolutely. I'm also super, super skeptical of supplements because I just don't trust anybody in the industry mostly because like mm -hmm. they pull a lot of crap to, to sell things at a cheaper rate. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what are a few of these companies that you would trust in? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think like one of the signs of like a good company is some of these, some of the ones that I've had experience with will straight up tell you like, yeah, if you could eat the liver, like go eat the liver. Like we're creating the supplement for people who are never going to, or sort of to like bridge the gap. Like for example, I might take some with me if I'm going to be traveling for a couple of weeks and I know I'm not going to be eating organ meats. Like maybe I'll take it just, it's, it's almost like a multivitamin, right? Like I'm not expecting it to change my life. I'm not expecting it to like fix any problems, but it's sort of like some things that I just, I I'm using, or I have at my disposal to just kind of like keep things even keel. Um, but it isn't necessarily, um, practical for a lot of people because they aren't cheap. The good ones aren't cheap. Um, I use ancestral supplements. That's an American company. Um, and they're pretty transparent and pretty open about, you know, their sourcing. And, and if you, if you reach out to them and say like, Hey, where's this stuff coming from? Like, what's the deal? Like they'll talk to you, which I think is a good sign. Um, are you affiliated with I, them? I am affiliated with them. Um, I don't, I don't really like I've told them kind of recently, I haven't really been using it a lot. Um, but I, I'm a fan of that company. And if someone asks me, which one should I use? I'm going to tell them ancestral supplements. Um, but there's one, Ooh, now it's, I'm blanking on it. Um, and if you have a discount carnivore, code, would you like to share it with our people? I do. I, I do. I want to say it's Maven 10, but I should check. We'll on put it in the podcast notes. We'll put it in the notes. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, but there's another one. It's called like, I think it's called like a primal carnivore. Is there, it's now I'm losing it, but I'll try to get you another one. Um, there's heart and soil, which I think is Paul is Saladino's. Paul Saladino's. Yeah. Um, so there are a few, like, I think most of the, in my experience, most of the, um, organ meat supplements, they're pretty transparent because like, they're not, what else are they going to put in there? Like it's, it's desiccated organ meats. Like it's, it's a smaller amount. Like you said, it's not going to be, it's, it's more processed. It's further away from like the original product. Um, for people who are like, look, I will never in my life 
put liver in my mouth, but I will take this, this pill. It may be beneficial. It's not going to move mountains. It's not going to change your life, but if you have the resources and the ability and you like taking supplements, I think it's probably a better choice than some other supplements you could be taking and spending your money on, honestly. Even compared to a multivitamin, like if you're really looking for some nutrients, it's better to get it from freeze-dried organ meats than it is to get synthetic vitamins that are made in the lab for most people. So we kind of live in a day and age of extremism, all the way from whatever it might be, a political topic, all the way to diet culture, for example. Um, We see hardcore carnivores like uh, Sean Baker is a great example. Don't even bring a broccoli sprout near that guy. He would not be having any of it. Him and Dr. Rhonda Patrick would never sit down for dinner. One of my favorite follows on Instagram. (laughs) He's hilarious. Sean Baker, MD. Yeah, he's he's an entertainment entertainment for sure. I don't know the validity of it, and that's kind of where I'm going into with kind of my next question. And uh, on this spectrum of, I, I do say slightly extremism because like they are very hardcore in their very specific things that they preach. And yes, they are monetarily tied to it. They have their books and whatnot. Another guy is carnivore MD, like we talked about, Paul Saladino. He has a, a very very animal focused diet. Obviously he's very meat and organ focused, but, and then recently he's claimed it as like the 2.0 diet where he's added fruits and honey and into his diet. Cause he says it makes him feel better. And he has got his scientific uh, rationale behind that. Where do you kind of sit when you're sitting back as somebody who I'm not saying that you're, you are not obviously carnivore. Your book is called carnivore ish, but looking at this kind of spectrum of meat eater culture that has really exploded. I think after, especially, you know, I think naturally as humans, there was a huge vegan push 10 years ago. And then we've really lopsided all the way to the other side of no, no, this has not been good. Let's go completely to the other side of only meat. Where do you kind of sit on this spectrum? Yeah. I mean, you know, the extremes are what gets attention, right? So that's, I think that's a lot of the, the time why people uh, present themselves that way. Um, and it's fun, something I, I kind of struggled with. I mean, I've interviewed um, Sean Baker. I've interviewed Paul, like, you know, I, I kind of experimented with all this sort of extreme stuff too. And I, I struggled because at the beginning I was like, Hey, if I just posted a bunch of videos of me, like chowing down on some raw kidneys, like that would probably get more views on my, on my stuff, but, and no disrespect to anybody who chooses whatever it is that they choose. However, I, working with women. And I think, um, choosing to go a more sort of moderate, but also realistic and more sustainable approach is something that just felt more authentic to me. Um, I think that at the end of the day, the people who are eating like super strict raw vegan and the people who are eating raw carnivore are very, very small subsets of people. And even smaller subset of those people are actually suited to do that long-term I do not believe um, as much as somebody who loves meat and I eat a very high animal protein diet, I do not believe that eating only animal products forever is in the best interests of most people. I think that the vast majority of us, if you look at our physiology, if you look at history, if you look at reality, the vast majority of us are going to eat a diet consisting of plants and animals. Um, and that, that meal, that plate is going to look different for everybody. The three of us could sit down for dinner for a paleo meal and our plates could all look completely different. And that's totally okay. That's a sign that we're maybe paying attention to what our bodies need and what they're telling us and what our cravings are telling us. Um, and I just think that, you know, um, if you really want to reach people and help, uh, help maybe teach them something and like, maybe change some minds if that's something you're trying to do being that extreme and also having this attitude of like, if you're not willing to do this, like 
too bad you're destined to poor health and you're an idiot. <laughs> I just don't think that's the best way to get people's attention and to get people to actually change change their behaviors. Um, so, you know, personally where I fall is still more of this like ancestral paleo, um, meat-based approach, you know, like I'll, I'll, I talked about this before in a previous podcast, like my husband and I will sit down at, um, a restaurant or at, at home and like the big, huge salad full of protein. And then there's like a big plate full of meat. And people will assume that like the salad plate's probably gonna be mine. Cause I'm the woman. Right. And it's actually not like, he likes to eat a lot more vegetables than I do that works for him. That fills him up. He enjoys it. I'm eating probably like a hunk of meat. And like, maybe there's something on the side if I feel like it, that's <laughs> what garnish. works for me. A little garnish, a little like sweet potato, a little chocolate <laughs> or something. Um, but I, I just think that realistically, if you want to try to create a, um, a dietary approach that people are actually going to enjoy and be able to stick to and not feel like it's so restrictive and this thing they like have to do and they have to get through, you know, to get to their cheat day on the weekend or whatever. I think that the approach has to be more moderate and that's harder to sell. Um, it's harder to get attention because it's not as sexy to just say, look, you got to figure it out, like what works for you. Um, but that's, I think that's more empowering and that's more realistic. And, you know, again, we talked before about all these like special interests that are like, um, influencing our, our, purchasing and decision-making, the diet industry would cease to exist if we taught more people, especially women, how to understand nutrition personally, how to personalize their own nutrition and individualize it. It's much better if we just tell people, hey, here's this new fad thing and you have to do it. And that's the new healthy thing. You know what I mean? Um, but it's harder. It's a harder sell because it's more work and it Will take longer. Um, and it's not easy to do. Um, so I kind of chose a tougher path, but one that I think is more beneficial. And I think it's more ultimately rewarding for people. Mm -hmm. And this is something we preach to our clients. And I talk about all the time on my social media is everybody is different. And most, most things exist on a spectrum and most of us will fall somewhere along that spectrum. And as Ashley said, it's up to us to figure out where we sit, even with carbs like keto, high carb. Most of us fit somewhere in the moderate range. What that looks like for each person is going to be a little bit different and you have to try things out. And my biggest hang up with these extreme schools of thought are that people will become so tied to attaching their identity to something that they will stop listening when their body is telling them the shit is not working or they'll mm -hmm. be so tied to somebody who they really look up to, you know, um, oh, carnivore MD, Paul Saladino said that I can only eat this. And he said that coffee or chocolate is bullshit. And he said kale is bullshit. And so then they'll go and they might eat something that makes them feel really good and somebody else who they look up to might not be doing that and they'll stop listening to their body and start outsourcing their information. So we need mm -hmm. to pre present people with information. Hey, here's what research shows for the most part, but at the same time, research is not including you in the study. So you might be different. This research might apply to you 30%. It might apply to you sometimes in some amount at some point in your life, and then it could stop feeling good for you. And so we always need to be in the driver's seat of our health journey. We always need to be questioning things, trying things out, seeing how they feel and not being so super glued or cemented or anchoring ourselves into certain schools of thought that we're unwilling to let go of it or to change as our body changes, especially as females. You know, what feels good for me right now, I'm 26, is not going to feel the same for me when I'm 56. And so we really need to 
take the driver's seat of our own health and really um, figure out how things work for us in what amount and fit ourselves onto the spectrum. And even with my clients, right, hiring a coach, they want me to tell them, do this, do that, don't do the other thing. And I always say I coach with collaborative coaching. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to offer you suggestions. I'm going to give you structure and I'm going to ask you how you feel because I never want my clients to buy so much into even what I say that they negate what feels good for them. And I think this is a really big part that's missing is how to apply information. There is no shortage of information or knowledge online. The, what we're, where we're getting really hung up and women are getting sick is they don't know how to apply it and they try to force this information to fit their lives rather than just slowing down and listening to what their body tells them. I couldn't have said it better. That's perfect. I Beautiful. agree. Sarah touched on a point there that I definitely wanted to go on. And, and that was, I, I feel like in society right now, especially given the fact that many people have been separated from people for so long, given the, I heard about the sickness that was going around. You might've heard about it too. Mm. Um, but there was a lack of identity uh, in society. And I feel like a lot of the times people have then been attaching themselves to some sort of team or cultural community. And a lot of the times that is a diet or a way of eating. And I, I do want to make sure I, I make a point of saying that the way you eat or the identification of the way you eat or a diet is not a personality trait. Uh, and for example, if we look at like what I do in, in, in our businesses, I, I do more so the physical side of things. And I'm looking at a person's anatomy and I will uh, take them through a bunch of video assessments and I'll look at their body in one week. And then I'll do the exact same thing a month or two later. And I do that so frequently because the body changes so frequently. And you can't, for example, prescribe somebody a prehabilitation um, exercise program for the rest of their life based on their physical structure right now. And I feel like that's a little easier to understand for people because we see our physicality. It's a structure in front of us. I see the 3D image that is me. But inside of our body, it's very similarly. These 3D structures still exist in the form of, you know, chemicals and all of these small compounds that build up all of our organs. And although that you can't see it, it is also changing on a very frequent basis. And those are the kind of things that if you attach yourself to this, this simple idea that I can only have A, B, C, and D, you are going to run yourself into an issue down the line. That could be tomorrow, that could be next year, or it could be 10 years from now. Either way, you need to be malleable enough to adapt to health because at the end of the day, health is your ability to adapt to imposed demand. And that's going to change over time depending on the imposed demand. So now that I'm kind of finished my rant, <laughs> I have something to add to that. Go, go off. As a female, it's also important to understand that with our cycle, we do have fluctuation. Bingo. So I just wore a continuous glucose monitor, which will be our next podcast re record for a couple months. I was so shocked at a lot of things, which tune into the next podcast. My fasting glucose in the my ovulatory phase and the week before my period was a whole point higher on average waking up in the morning than the other mm -hmm. two phases of my cycle. So this tells me that my body has different nutritional needs. I need to alter maybe the amount of protein I'm eating per sitting. I need to maybe scale back on the amount of carbohydrates or the type that I'm eating or when I eat them in relation to my training. But it just goes to show that if I was eating the exact same, even for a month mm -hmm. with my body, everything else the same, my body's not responding in the same way. So if I was mm -hmm. like, nope, you know, I'm always eating, I'm always <clears throat> eating 45 grams of carbs and I'm eating 30 grams of protein because Gabriel Lyon said that that's the minimum I should be eating. Love her, by the way. And I'm mm -hmm. eating X amount of fats. My body wouldn't feel the same. 
And so it's really important to understand that we need to change and we need to always be asking questions. We need to be doing something. How did this make me feel better? Worse, the same. Is this supporting Mm -hmm. my health? Is this moving away from my health? And even tying back to like talking about the way you look or focusing on your health. If I was to eat the same way throughout my cycle, my body would look different. I have a different response just due to the fact my blood sugar is dysregulated. So if I just focus on my health and supporting my body, that will also support the way that I feel and the way that I look. And so it can really be difficult for a lot of females to wrap their head around the fact that we need to be changing and we can't just wake up and eat the same as influencers online or ourselves a different point in our cycles because we're the CEO and the boss of our own body and we need to learn how to listen to those cues or tune in. And if you're unsure of what listening to your body even means, start asking questions. How do I feel? Why do I feel like shit? <laughs> I mean, I think so much of what you guys are both talking about here relates to like another big theme in in wellness, which is like having some compassion and patience for yourself because so many of these, like you're saying, the biggest issue is like, how do you apply all of this knowledge that is like out there? Like none of us are telling like trade secrets, like all this information about what to do is out there. It's how to apply it. It's this, again, this kind of culture we have where things have to be fixed immediately. You have to see results immediately. You have to be perfect. If you make a mistake, if something doesn't work, you're a failure. If you tried vegan and it doesn't work, you have to like keep it a secret or keep eating vegan because if you tell people it was a mistake, then everyone will hate you. Like it's this and you're, and you're exiled kind from of, the community. Exactly. And again, like the, the community thing, I understand because if you go back to like the ancestral uh, approach to human um, interaction, it's very normal to want to join a group. It's very normal to want to like be a part of a tribe, if you will, that like has similar beliefs and, and you know, ideas and thoughts and whatever. So that part, it makes sense. Like don't beat yourself up for if you really drank the Kool-Aid on like veganism or CrossFit or carnivore or whatever. It's very natural. Um, But I think that, again, if we are teaching a little bit more intrinsic confidence and compassion in ourselves that we trust when our body tells us something, instead of trusting what that person's telling us to do, if we trust ourselves instead, and I think that comes from from learning, it comes from like interactions and relationships, it comes from, um, it also comes from, again, like a focus on learning skills rather than always just caring about what you look like and how appealing or um, acceptable you are to other people. And one of the things I've been really proud of in the last few years as I've kind of grown this, this brand and this approach that I have to nutrition is how many women have come to me that have said, I am vegan or I am vegetarian or I was for so long and I started watching some of your stuff. And they didn't say, I just decided to do what you did because I want to look like you or you know, I was brainwashed and I decided to do what you do now. It was, I felt like comfortable watching your stuff and asking you questions and you made it seem like it was accessible and I could try. Um, and that's what I, that's what really makes me happy because I want people to be empowered to try and experiment for themselves. And that's what I think the problem is with some of this very polarizing stuff on the internet. Like it gets likes, but you're not, are you, you're just kind of preaching to your own choir. You're not necessarily opening up a conversation to the people who don't see differently than you. And so it makes me really happy when people are like, yeah, I was vegan for a while and I had like some problems with it and I was worried and whatever. And then I saw you and I thought, Hey, maybe I'll try this one thing. And now I feel better. And I'm like, that's, that's all I want. I don't want to make you like me. I don't want you to change everything you're doing. I just want you to feel like it's okay to evolve and try new things and open your mind and change. Because like you said, 
it's, it's inevitable. We have to do it. So instead of looking at it, like it's a failure, look at it. Like that's part of the journey. That's part of life and enjoy it, you know? So let's talk about carnivore ish. And that's the title of your newest book, which we have right here in front of us. Um, I actually tried one of my first recipes from that the other day. I did an adjusted version of the beef confit, uh, where I, I mixed actually some of the beef with, um, some liver and I even drizzled a whole bunch of fresh pressed and delivered, uh, olive oil from the Southern hemisphere right out of Greece. And it was so good. I, I actually was really surprised. I've never like, I'm not much of a spice guy. I'm more of a, let's mm. just grab like a sauce and cover it because I just need to get, get to things quick. <laughs> but kind of having like all of those nice warm spices on top of it. Oh my gosh, it was so good. And I thought for me, this is a, okay. Last time I tried liver, I, I just couldn't do it. My parents actually tried to make it a steak for me and I was like, mm, I can't do it. But having it in this delicious dish was awesome. So for me, this was a great intro. I felt into getting away from the pills, you know, a little bit, getting away mm. from the supplements and starting to dive into the actual, um, the meats kind of for the first time. And I feel great. I feel mm. so, I actually haven't even been taking most of my supplements for a while. So tell people a little bit about your book and what they're going to find in it, because I even love like the beginning of it where you're talking about like the preparatory processes. So let's mm -hmm. hear a little bit about your book. Yeah, thank you. So Carnivore-ish is certainly a more mainstream book than my first one, because It Takes Guts is all about organ meats. Carnivore-ish is really just more about nutrient dense, whole foods, animal protein focused meals. Um, but that's not quite as catchy a title. So we called it carnivore-ish because again, our goal, myself and my co-author, a friend of mine, Beth Lipton, she's a Brooklyn based um, chef and recipe developer. We wanted to have a meat based book in the healthy eating section of the bookstore. That was really our goal. Like you go to like healthy recipes, healthy eating, and it might as well just stay plant-based. It's just pictures of like quinoa salads and fruit bowls and stuff. Um, which again, there's great, there's a place for that, but animal protein is a health food and it's ridiculous that it is not considered such in mainstream circles. Um, and again, you know, this cookbook is for everyone. We want everyone to enjoy it, but we really were speaking, like we were writing this, we were developing it with like women in mind because they're the ones buying a lot of these like take home, try some stuff at home kind of cookbooks. How do I make some recipes for my families? Um, and so we wanted to show that if you want to eat an animal protein forward diet, you can have a wide variety. There's so many different types of cuts and animals and proteins and applications and combinations. Um, it doesn't have to be heavy, you know, ground beef and steaks all day, every day. Um, it can, you know, it can just be delicious. It can be nourishing. It can be any iteration that you want. Um, and there's a lot of recipes in there. We, we worked pretty hard, so, um, I'm proud of it. And yeah, there is a, there is a pretty like significant section in the beginning that we sort of talked through like preps and what you can fill your pantry with and like kitchen items that will help you, um, be a good at home chef and, um, talk about some of the myths, uh, the negative myths around eating animal protein. We really kind of dove into it because we want people to understand, um, why they're making the choices they're making. So 
Um, and they're not like weird recipes. I know a lot of people like they hear when some of the things we're talking about and they're like, oh man. Tongue tacos. It's like it's literally just gonna it's literally just gonna be a tongue sitting there. It's like, no, 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 it's not like that. Like I'm I'm flipped to the poultry section right now. And it's it's things that you would expect, like roast chicken with vegetables or uh skit uh skillet chicken thighs with cabbage. But then you've taken a twist on it to add in some more things that just make it richer in nutrients. And so like they're not weird recipes, if anybody's wondering. I do really highly recommend the book. And I was even just flipping to a in the beginning there where you were specifically talking about women and protein so i am a huge book, of this fam. book if you're yeah. listening to this you need the book <laughs> we'll link it. i'll just tell it like it is <laughs> appreciate that sarah anything you want to end off with before we head out people need nutrition and nutrition looks different for everyone but if you are listening to this podcast and you are not feeling your best and you are wondering how you can start adding in more nutrition a lot of my clients have digestive issues. If you're listening to this and you have digestive issues and you're like, I'm eating so quote unquote healthy and I feel crappy, try it out. If it feels good for you, include some more animal-based protein, start on desiccated liver capsules, really understand what it means to nourish your body. Follow Ashley. I actually have been listening to her podcast for a really long time. I bought her course with Gabrielle Lyon. So I have taken in her information. It has taught me a lot to explain stuff to my clients as well. She's actually one of the people who got me into taking liver and being like, all right, suck it up, sister, <laughs> get it in. So influenced. Yeah. And you know that I'm not someone who just says things for the hell of saying this. If you listen to the podcast, you follow me on social media, you'll know I'm a pretty straight shooter. I tell it like it is. And this information needs to be out there. So if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, share it with someone, share it with a fellow vegan, share it with a friend, share it with your family members. Yep. I went there <laughs> and get the good word out, right? Nutrition includes animal-based protein. Like Ashley said, animal protein is a health food and let's make that let's make that mainstream you said it thank you guys <laughs> i appreciate it i really appreciate your support this has been fun awesome all right everybody if you want to check out the podcast notes head over to embodiedwellnessco.com slash blog slash muscle maven and we will see you next time thanks so much for coming on ashley thank you Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institutions.